Thank you for that girl. The podcast project of the finalist. By Leopold Lambert. Today, blurred territories, sovereignty claims and technological legislations with Daniel Fernandez Pasquale. Today my guest is uh, Daniel Fernandez Pascual. Uh, he's uh, the editor of uh, The Concrete, a friend platform of the Phenobalist, <laughs> and uh, he is uh, currently a PhD candidate at Goldsmiths at the Center for Research uh, Architecture. Um, and uh, hello, Daniel. Hello. <laughs> um, maybe to begin, you could you maybe tell us a little bit what your research is involving right now? Okay, so um, basically it's about uh, exploring the crisis in, in Spain, uh, especially along the coast, and how uh, different types of, of laws and regulations shape also the, the territory through different ways of adding speculative value to land. And basically I'm focusing on this law of the coast and, and land law from 1988-1998, and which consequences have like carried within uh, into the current situation. Okay, well, I, I see we are jumping right into the topic because that's pretty much what we're going to talk about today. Um, maybe uh, uh, an articulation of uh, how sovereignty is being claimed on a given territory, given that... Uh, Uh, this notion of territory may be uh, complexified by the various use that are being made uh, by several um, states and individuals and corporations, uh, as well as maybe um, an interpretation of their cir circumvention of of the law, as you like to as you like to say, the circumvention. <laughs> um, uh, maybe to precise a little bit the things. We're we're both architects, but we're both uh, very interested in uh, <laughs> in uh, exploring the the complexity and the ambiguities of uh, of the legal context in which our architecture uh, takes shape. Um, and so yesterday, I listened to you presenting a paper at a Goldsmiths Grad Conference about uh, about the Spanish coast, just like you were evoking um, as. A, as a territory of, if not dispute, let's say, at least an ambiguity on whether, on on how it could be delimited in and categorized as either uh, sea or land and, and with every implication it might involve for um, the construction of buildings and the development of projects and how those uh, lines might be Uh, fluctuating, fluctuating, and maybe left on purpose in an ambiguity to um, to allow or its capitalist exploitation. Um, do do I do I got this right? <laughs> yeah. Do I get this right? So yeah, it's basically about the the idea of the limit and how do you construct limits or, or territorial lines, territorial boundaries, um, according to the existing legislations. So yesterday was more speaking about this the, the shoreline as an almost as an apparatus of governance, and how like different political powers determine what is land and, and what is sea, 
and going back to, to Schmidt and how he conceives this shoreline as the, the limit between land and, and water is actually has actually to, to include new notions of contemporary space or different technologies. Um, and the idea is that the, the shoreline is no longer something like a flat line, but rather it has to include uh, different dimensions of, of time, of verticality, width, depth, scale, microscopic, especially when it comes to this geological mm -hmm. um, analysis. We can talk about it if you want. Um, so how all these different dimensions create a, a shoreline or a limit that is constantly changing or being shaped and reshaped and reshaped depending on the political decisions that are behind them and how also they create new uh, value uh, to, to the territory. I, I see. And um, maybe could you tell us a bit more about those um, those municipalities in the, the way you were explaining uh -huh. it was... Uh, designed uh, under the Frankist era yeah. and uh, and how uh, although the intentions for it might have been uh, uh, to empower each municipality to deal with its own coastal lie how actually the ambiguity in, in which it's been left has been uh, mm -hmm. having strong political implication yeah, it was about the history of okay we have this crisis today how do we try to understand it and If we go back to, to Franco times, and especially the, the transition in 1975 to the so-called parliamentary democracy, is where we find like some like explanations to the current situation. And what you're um, referring to, these municipalities, was a key uh, problem. And after the uh, death of Franco, like a requirement to, to open a sort of democratic system was to decentralize the, the state um, and giving more autonomy to local powers, let's say the municipalities. And this idea that a priori was very like interesting and very progressive in a way uh, completely failed and we can see the results today. The, the fact that every municipality uh, acquired enough autonomy to decide upon their own territory in the end created these micro nations I don't know how to call them like micro uh, feudalism within each municipality and that it would be up to like town mayors to decide uh, how much building <coughs> sorry building land they would create or how much natural land or rural land would stay in the territory so um This, this author, Naredo, a Spanish uh, economist and thinker that refers to that process not as a um, democratic transition but rather a transaction to democracy. So how this shift in the government in the end was a perpetuation of certain olig oligarchies in the way that they were still moving in economic system. Mm -hmm. And I, I think because your your research is very precise, you you actually um, you actually are able to to explain how um, this dispute of where the line the coastal line might be, uh, what you came to call the 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 clear blurry line, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 
um, how this line was being established based on the geological or geological or um, mm -hmm. uh, composition of the soils that you could find on those on this coast. Could you explain a bit more? Yeah. So the the law of the coast, which dates back to eighty eight, it was basically promoted by or mainly pushed by Scandinavian or North European tourists in Spain who were experiencing like a huge boom of, of these high-rise towers all along the coast as a new way of tourism. So then they, there was this European like intention to, to push Spain to start also new uh, ways of protecting like the natural environment along the coast. Then when this law uh, was framed in 88 with very good intentions apparently but the uh, very fact of, of, of how the, the, the shoreline was defined is when it started creating problems and it was taken from Roman law saying that the shoreline is the, the line where the highest tide in history was yes. and it's okay how do we track that and this is when conflict starts so you have to, to, or according to the, some paradigmatic cases in the last years in Spain, when there is no agreement on that, or there are two forces that are very powerful, they have to recur to scientific reports to prove the, any trace of salt, sea salt on the soil. And that was what I was uh, showing yesterday, this case of, of Las Teresitas Beach in Tenerife, in the Canary Islands where they, they, there was a report that was commissioned to this agency um, to extract geological samples from the beach. And, and those samples would determine like the end of the sea, in a way, and the beginning of building land. And it's not just about the shoreline, like the, almost like a naive concept of what is uh, the sea or, or, or the land, but it has a lot of legal, political, economic implications about where do you start demarcating private property and where can you start building tower mm -hmm. towers and i i suppose take, taking uh, what what you you call the roman law of the highest tide in history to determine a line is the fact that it is based on a precedent is highly problematic especially in a time where uh, with global warming mm -hmm. the, the level of seawater is mm -hmm. uh, anyway uh, rising so are are, the, are those lines able to adapt to this uh, to this condition or not really it's kind uh, of thought in 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 a past way of thinking uh, that's the thing when they become blurry lines mm -hmm. so in principle it should be easy it's okay the water was still here but then you start having like very uh, precise technologies and uh, ways of measurement mm -hmm. all these traces of salt or or even like projecting the future or predicting the future mm -hmm. so either it's going to be floods or not or, or how do you create this risk about the, the coming flood and there's all these variabilities that have to be for me or my understanding is they have to be integrated in this understanding of territorial boundaries that the law as such fails to to do so or to to open like a framework to for them to operate mm -hmm. and the the other the other case i was referring to was in in these marshes by the by the coast and the there were two positions one side arguing with the scientific report that the marshes belonged to the land and the other side saying that the marshes belonged to 
to, to, to the sea. And again, this, this, there was this economic interest behind it about the fact that if they were considered to be part of the mainland, there was like a legitimate extraction of mineral resources from the site. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they were considered part of the left of the sea, it had to be protected. Mm-hmm. So both sides were having two reports perfectly like um, like correct or accurate. Yeah. But well, the definition of a marsh is that it's precisely... Yeah, yeah. so what is the definition of the marshes? Yeah. Or what, and what in that case, what, what is the definition or the, the threshold of mm-hmm. what is salty water, what is not? Mm-hmm. And since it was this very... Like at this threshold, both scientific reports could argue for either or the other position. And in the end, it was a matter of interpretation of the judge of what is the most accurate report or what does or how how does it make more sense according to the context mm-hmm. so the decision in that case was that okay both reports are okay but there is a higher economic interest on considering these marshes as part of the land so that this could create also jobs in the region mm-hmm. through the extraction of of those resources so yeah. when you are at this at this kind of threshold of the line is when it becomes blurry for me. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the, the factual aspect of where the line might be de facto is becomes pretty irrelevant when this decision comes, which, mm-hmm. like, like you say, will consider more economic uh, and ecological uh, um, arguments rather than actually a factual aspect of where the line might be. But uh, because... This this uh, geological problem is is um, is questionable in in the ways that again like it constitutes uh, at best a present situation maybe sometimes even a past situation but there doesn't seem to be quite a speculative aspect to it and uh, again with global warming you might you might have those lines completely shifting uh, pretty much everywhere on the planet. And uh, I think you you you, mm-hmm. you know that very well since mm-hmm. you're working on this uh, you're working on this um, uh, village in Alaska that that mm-hmm. will that will be completely uh, flooded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't know. Yeah, do you want do you want to tell us a little bit more about the the, the potentiality for a speculative uh, a speculative attribution of lines, or is it is it something that's being discussed at all, or or yeah, yeah, totally. Is it also happening with the Katrina <coughs> that <coughs> there was a regulation in the states to to, to define the the end of the of the sea again? Mm-hmm. But it was the whole lobby of risk insurance uh, companies mm-hmm. which decided to shift that line. Yeah, Katrina was the hurricane in New Orleans in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a new redefinition of the coast for insurance pur- purposes right after. So. Mm-hmm. They saw the amount of money they lost uh, on, on like paying for the, 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 the buildings that were destroyed. So then they shifted the end of the sea a bit more inland mm-hmm. for future potential uh, catastrophes. And what you were mentioning in, in Alaska, we were doing this project with another uh, four colleagues. And um, we were trying to understand <coughs> how different... Um, risk management uh, reports were actually constructing the shoreline. And basically, the, if you create a paranoia of, of threat, of, of, of this like menace of, 
of flood, you can also move a whole economy. And that's mm. what we are now trying to, to work on. Okay. Uh, go, going back to this, maybe this geological aspect, so far we've been talking about it on, uh, let's say, on the national level and in particular in Spain, but uh, at the international level, it's also interesting to see how uh, sovereignties are being claimed uh, being claimed um, on something as uh, something as fluctuant as the sea. I think we we heard yesterday at the symposium by uh, uh, your co-panelist uh, Jerome Jerome Seeberger, uh, who um, who was saying that there originally there the demarcation between the sovereignty, the national sovereignty, and the international waters was. Uh, was established by how far could a cannonball, uh, could a cannonball yeah. reach, uh, starting from the coast, which I suppose is interesting because it's it's, it sounds both like a legal a legal decision, but it's also, it's also the, the the border is established through the means of defense of the same border. So it's it's almost, the weapon. It's the almost de, fa de facto yeah. Yeah. Uh, what this line would be anyway, since there would be no means of defense if the line was further anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was interesting, but obviously uh, we don't really uh, deal with cannonball, cannonballs anymore. And uh, you were telling the story of uh, countries in the Arctic, uh, in the Arctic Ocean who were uh, claiming sovereignty on... Uh, the ocean itself and uh, maybe uh, uh, a few islands based on the geolog geological uh, composition of the ground. Can, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so there's the international law about like, how to govern like, the resources in the ocean. And there's a huge like, geopolitica geopolitical conflict now in the North Sea about yeah, from Canada, Norway, Russia, and how or who is the owner of the either the fisheries or the potential melted ice in the future of, of, of the area. And there might be new resources coming, of mm. course, now is a huge contest, contest contested territory. Um, so according to this international law, the UCLOS, um, you can prove that, or if you prove that the geological bed of, of the ocean has a similar, uh, the continental shelf has a similar um, composition as your own country, you can basically claim it. Mm -hmm. And this is what is happening in the Arctic, but also in the Atlantic. Uh, in another case between Spain and Portugal, and how there are new expeditions trying to to prove what is the actual uh, yeah, composition of, of the seabed. And to the point that one of these expeditions, Spanish expeditions, discovered a new um, underwater formation in a form of pinnacle or a sort of hill mm. which had a very similar like formation to the volcanic islands of the, of the Canaries. So then now it's a whole process of claiming to the international community that that part of the ocean belongs to the Canary Islands and hence to, to Spain. And not only that but also of course like potential oil resources, yeah. gas resources, fisheries and... I think like, it's important to... to, to emphasize on this aspect because obviously uh, it's been a few centuries we're no more in a we're no more in a paradigm in which uh, a state would try to uh, conquer as many territories as possible just for the sake of the territory but we are we are very much uh, 
the territory is just is just a pretext to actually the, the resources that it that it allows to mm -hmm. to so uh, there's there's many islands like that desert islands that are uh, being contested in the world mm -hmm. simply for their potential hydrocarbon or other resources that yeah, can so be extracted from it. Even more now, referring also to the to this the idea of the weapon, I think today is being completely superseded by science. So science is or the scientific report is the new weapon to conquer territories in mm -hmm. a way. And the cannon shot rule is what you were saying of territorial waters is completely obsolete, uh, but rather is this almost ge geological aspect of, 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 the, of the territory. What is being yeah, used in, in play. And it happened, it reminds me of, of the actual the city wall as a limit, which I also use it as, as a model of how these different modes of governance operate. So the city wall, that, which was a very like, constructed limit of, of the urban realm, had like a period of thickening and thickening and thickening mm. with these complex polygon forms. And it reached a point where the available weapons actually could like, almost contest that, that wall. It was not anymore like a, a way of protect, especially now if you think a nuclear weapon so mm -hmm. what's the what would be the point of, of city walls so then is this process of dismantling the city walls when they become obsolete also brings the demarcation of limits into onto paper almost mm -hmm. and then you need to regulate property or, or sovereignty or or like territory through uh, new abstract forms yeah. and it's also a process of cadastralization of, of the land which comes together with this colonial activity all over the world. Where the example I was giving yesterday about how you can actually, or at the time, how do you invent a system through which you can buy a piece of Australia while sitting in London? You have to choose like the rectangle number eight, mm. eighty-seven, or whatever. So this also the system to or devices that start appearing as a way to reinvent the, the limit uh, I see and um, in, a, in a text you actually wrote for the phenomenalist a few years ago you were describing how sovereignty was um, uh, also trying to reach other uh, other object let's say that, is, that was not just the sea as we just uh, as we just discussed, or the, the potential resources in the sea, but also things as um, as the earth and how how deep could you go to how deep could you go to um, to actually reach a limit where sovereignty would not be applied anymore, or um, and we, we can maybe imagine or we we can imagine some interesting maps of the world like that where where each country would uh, have. A sort of uh, a sort of a triangle uh, of of land uh, as a, as a section of the earth uh, that which uh, which would go from the center of the earth and to the border of the countries. Um, uh, so that's for the ground, but also in well the the air has been has been always a uh, a big field of contention already with the development of uh, military aircraft. Uh, we can we can probably talk about that as well. But uh, also the clouds, I'm thinking, uh, and that you were writing back back then, 
could be um, maybe quite not yet. Uh, it's been quite not yet fully exploited. But uh, when we see what's going on in uh, China and how they're managed to control uh, to control the climate somehow with um, with several uh, artificial means. And you were you were when we were preparing this uh, this uh, podcast, you were telling me about Dubai as well uh, with their ionizers. Could we try maybe to talk about that for a little bit and um, determine by whichever whichever object you want to start with? Is again about about limits. So how do you construct the the end of a country, in both in the land but also in the atmosphere, in outer space, or even at the center of the earth? So there is already some regulations, for example, with the underground resources as, as, as deep as you can get. And I think I wrote about this example in South Africa, which is the deepest mine in, in, in the earth, which I think is four kilometers deep. That's the deepest country in a way. Yeah. Or if you go to the outer space, there is a very contested orbit, the geostationary orbit, uh, which... Uh, the countries along the Ecuador have been reclaiming as their own because it's like the almost the, like the off, offset of the of the Ecuador, but an outer space. Mm. And more than economic resources, is a, a resource for uh, media and information for uh, satellites because it's the where exactly the orbit where satellites do not need any energy to be mm-hmm. moving. They move together with the Earth. And they get like the same um, positioning. Yeah. Um, and then, like, are the limits like between air and outer space, or yeah, air space, outer space, through uh, different theories. But one of them is that the speed of the flying object is what determines whether it is flying in mm. outer space or in uh, air space. And the United States have been using extensively this yeah. this sort of what we could probably call loophole. To yeah. Or like hybrid flying machines that mm-hmm. can operate sometimes as uh, like aircrafts or as uh, spacecrafts, mm. and then it's also a matter of how do you or who do you need to ask permission for in order to fly over uh, with your machine. Um, but when it comes to these the clouds and the creation of rays or the like the making clouds disappear in order to have sun also have like bigger implications that have not been uh, measured or calculated yet. So if if China wants to create <clears throat> or to increase the amount of rain in a desert area, what kind of climatic implications have, ha- does it have for neighboring countries? Mm-hmm. And where do you, again, where do you establish that, that limit? Something which also happens with the rights for air pollution at a global level <clears throat> that you can, as a country, you can buy or sell rights to pollute. So it's all, again like a commodity rather than like the air space on top of your like land or yeah. country. And, I su- and it also tackles. <clears throat> it also tackles um, what also what might be legally able to be exploited, like something like a cloud. Or what might not be, but apparently the the legal the international le- legislation has not been let's say fast enough to to maybe uh, make clear laws about about what could not be s- exploited. Is mm-hmm. that right? 
yeah or, or, or the proposition about how do you integrate uncertainty and indeterminacies into into law mm. since there is always this operation about the circumvention circumvention of the law or the loophole uh, maybe it is because well two two positions i'm i'm currently trying to figure out one is if if these clear lines in in mapping do not work uh, is it because we need to come up with new ways of four dimensional mapping in order to to match the actual uh, conflict or the other position would be maybe it is because we need to get rid of all these ways of mapping mm-hmm. at all like we don't need any more maps and something else will come yeah. so is this like two very utopian possibilities uh, i don't know the answer mm-hmm. but is it's interesting to see the what would be the implications for each case, either like new types of mapping or like no mappings mm-hmm. at all. Uh, well, you just you just evoked the circumvention of the law that I, I I said we would talk about today. So let's let's jump right through it and um, and maybe maybe that's not a question we need to ask right now, but. Uh, that will be at least in 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 filigree of of the, this conversa- this coming conversation, uh, which is maybe the legitimacy of of um, circumventing the law. What what? How can we maybe make the difference between between a legitimate circumvention and an illegitimate, and which kind of ethics determine such a distinction? But let's let's maybe start by evoking a few examples to. Uh, Maybe put the finger on what we're talking about. We we we've been evoking right now uh, the circumvention of the law by various nation states or uh, maybe even corporations sometimes, but at a at a more local and uh, human scale, maybe we can try to see to study a few examples uh, that would reveal what this circumvention of the law might be. So. To to take, uh, we we were talking earlier, uh, just the two of us, uh, of an example in Portugal that uh, you might want to introduce to talk about this problem. Mm-hmm. Well, now I was thinking like it's almost like a translation of what we were just talking about the airspace and the underground. If you t- bring it to an urban scale of the city, you also have this like spatial, almost ways of squatting mm-hmm. the city through construction and. One is building underground excavated uh, spaces or the other like squatting rooftops. Mm-hmm. And this has been happening in many different countries, not mm-hmm. only at the like, level of slums, but also in the formal city, how mm-hmm. people with... In Hong Kong, for example. In Hong Kong and in Belgrade a lot as well, mm-hmm. uh, Beijing. But uh, it's a, like almost new ways of development where the actual real estate developers come out, come up with these ways of circumventing the law so if they, it, it's not contemplated why not adding like like processes almost to 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 the actual uh, urban built form and <clears throat> the case in in lisbon i was i was working on was more about housing and the actual uh, like problem with mortgages which have, occurs all like especially in the mediterranean countries after the crisis so what do you do when, when there is no way to, to return the money back to a bank, uh, like mortgages? Um, and I, I took this case of a couple in, in Andorra uh, who very smartly decided to 
design uh, a legal framework for a lottery for their house. So since they were not able to pay this uh, house in, in the Pyrenees... The, they were not able to pay the mortgage. Yes, the yeah, sorry. Yeah. So they did not want the bank to, to get the house back. Mm-hmm. Um, so their like, idea was to promote a lottery. They, they knew they were going to be evicted, I think. At some point, if, yeah. if, they, if they do not... Uh, did not carry on paying the the, the monthly installments for the for the mortgage, of yeah. course. So the decision was okay. We want to pay the money back to the bank. Where can we get it from? So let's organize a lottery, and we sell tickets with the money from the tickets. We pay the mortgage back, and instead the house will be will go to the winner of the lottery. Mm-hmm. So of course it was not legal or illegal or illegal they just designed a new legal framework for that to happen within the existing uh, gambling laws in in, in Andorra and what I tried to do is to adapt that case into into Portugal in the Lisbon case Um, since there have been like thousands of of complaints from citizens to the consumers rights uh, association in Portugal asking for ways to get rid of mortgages because once you get unemployed, it's, it's much harder, to, of course, yeah. to get the, the money. So of, it, it is not a solution to evictions at all, but it tries to explore uh, a, like a sort of crowdfunding for, for mortgages. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of, of course, constraints, legal constraints uh, when working with the lawyers. So, for example, we could not legally organize a lottery without paying a lot of taxes. And but we could what we could do is to organize an architecture competition. So again, like these kind of circumventions mm. of the constraints in order to get to the same point. Yeah. And yeah. So the the winner of the architectural competition would be a house that's already built. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was it's a very long story. Yeah. Um, and we found like seven very important constraints, and the last one was not possible to circumvent. Okay. And that's when the project had to like. Mutate. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And uh, I think we're both familiar with uh, an example that's uh, still in the uh, Iberic uh, uh, Peninsula, uh, in Seville to be more precise. And uh, uh, this architect, uh, Santiago Cirugueda, you will will pronounce his name way better than me, obviously. But, uh, and his Receta Cirbanas, his office and his, his method. Uh, his method consists in, um, in a, let's say, an acute reading of the urban codes that uh, rule the way buildings are being built in, uh, in Seville. And from there, try to circumvent the, the ambiguity or try to use the ambiguity of this, uh, of this code because uh, when, when you look a little bit into it, uh, you will discover that there's, uh, there's a lot of... Um, in, in, in all urban codes, there's a lot of ambiguity. I'm, I'm thinking of something as as uh, silly as uh, uh, the, the the New York urban code, which is the one I, I know the best. Is uh, describes how describes what would be the maximal inclination of a slope, but it does not describe what would be the minimal inclination of a wall. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you could have some, some things that a wall a very a quasi horizontal wall that 
that would be uh, that would be uh, if if it's walnut, it would not be considered as a as a, as a ground as a floor. So it could <laughs> it could circumvent this way. I don't know. That's just one yeah. one one small example that I, I've been encountering uh, when working uh, in New York. But um, um, I'm sorry. Going back to Siogeda, uh he has been doing many projects that circumvent the law for. Uh, let's say the collectivity and their, and uh, maybe enriching the public space with um, with um, various projects that would uh, that would circumvent the laws this way for example like a, a, a little a little neighborhood house which would be able to be built without a permit because it would not have any foundation and would be considered uh, almost as a construction uh, as a little construction temporary uh, temporary structure um so what what can we learn from this kind of uh, from this kind of uh, method let's say uh that once again is circumvents the law and the law is originally being made to serve society presumably presumably but in that case it circumvents the law precisely for society and for public space so um i think it tackles very interesting problem and i'm wondering if you 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 would be able to develop well, yeah according to my personal experience i think what you learn is or what you learn most is by making yeah. so the the <clears throat> sorry the process of, of, of finding this circumvention is when, through which you understand the actual system that uh, creates it and when you come up with things on the way. And that's, for me, almost more, more interesting than the actual finishing, finished mm -hmm. product is all these possibilities that you encounter along the way and that makes you understand the whole... like either decisions that are behind it or, or the the approach of the people that actually create them. And that's for me the, the almost the creative moment of that you happen to to find by coincidence. Mm -hmm. Well and I think what you just say is fundamental in the fact that um I was referring a little bit earlier to the question of the legitimacy of the circumvention of the mm -hmm. law, um, and we should not be too. We should probably not be too um, uh, uh, focus on the intention of the circumvention because it's always a dangerous thing to mm -hmm. judge things by their intention. Obviously, mm -hmm. uh, however, what you just said I think relates to an intuition that I have, which is that the circumvention or even the the plain disobedience of the law could be legitimatized by the it's an hypothesis i'm not quite sure but uh could be legitimatized by the fact that what is being disobeyed within the law is the i'm sorry the reasons why the law is being disobeyed or circumvented is a contestation of the law itself and mm -hmm. not a selfish uh a selfish uh Uh, uh, outcome for for the law. So that I think that's a little bit what you were saying about the process, yeah, the process as well. It's not trying to to say you're doing everything wrong to the people who are mm -hmm. making the laws, but rather I want to do this for my own interest because I think it's, yeah. it could bring something new. And this has not been uh, like kind of included or approached mm -hmm. in the like conventional system. So it's 
a way to explore other opportunities that were not thought of in advance. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not going against like the establishment, mm -hmm. but rather like I want to do this. I, I'm not saying that what you are doing is wrong, but mm -hmm. I, what I want is to do this, and I think could bring something okay. interesting. So I suppose we do have a little uh, different way of looking, yeah, a little, yeah, looking at that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I I hear I hear um, what you're saying about about those uh, those situation in which you find maybe opportunities, and I think uh, what you're doing uh, with the concrete is a maybe a, a, an excellent in inventory of such situation around the world of. Uh, spatial apparatuses let's say that uh, manage to take the opportunity of a, of a legal or political ambiguity uh, um, and again like we can we can with our own ethics we can judge those examples uh, in one way or another it, 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 there, there is nothing good in essence in, in those things but I was wondering maybe if you could tell us a little bit about uh, a few of those examples uh, that that you've been repertorying, repertorying. <laughs> oh, that's a difficult word. Accumulating. Uh, accumulating. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you. I'm sure you have great, uh, interesting stories in for that matter. So please go ahead. Yes, as, as you were saying, it's not about like judging whether it, whether it's good or bad, but rather like collecting. So mm. the fact that you build this sort of like cloud or archive or compilation of, mm -hmm. of different things creates a new narrative almost mm -hmm. through like the fact of putting them together so it's not about going in depth or the like a lot of the consequences of each one of them but just having these almost visual references that you can read in one way or another and of course there are many many examples um, but one kind of these sort of not perverted story but it's this way of how do you how do I interpret this is already a lot of potential on or at first glance there's something attractive of the story that's the way I also choose uh, how to gather mm -hmm. uh, facts or events yeah because it or almost it, it almost reached the status of literature at some point almost or yeah. fiction yeah sometimes yeah. and but also how do you learn from maybe it's fiction yeah that this is happening but And it doesn't matter so much. No, it's more about like what it like provokes mm -hmm. in, you, in you. So I don't know this um, case with the Venice Biennial, the, the French and the German Pavilion this year, and the the Art Biennale. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether what I'm going to say is actually true or not, <laughs> but it's it's very interesting for me because It's I an heard it. Mythology. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just a rumor. <laughs> so the official version of of the fact that. France did the ex the French exhibition in the German pavilion, and Germany did it in 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 France. Uh, was the, the, the German exhibition was pavilions. in the French pavilion? Yeah. The French exhibition was in the German pavilion. Yeah. So they swapped pavilions. Um, so officially, what I heard is that it was to commemorate certain anniversary of reconciliation after the war or something similar, uh, but then. It, this other story came to me saying that actually that was just the official um, yeah, way to promote it but behind the scenes what happened was that uh, the artist representing France was using a, a music piece under copyright and if it was 
played or performed on French territory, um, it would be a, an issue, mm-hmm. and you would have to to pay, of course, for the copyrights. Whereas Germany has, which has a different set of of copyright laws, um, would not be necessary if done. And since the art pavilions work as almost embassies of uh, in terms of, of of rights and regulations, that was why they said, okay, let's swap pavilions and make this official version but at the end it was about these copyrights of, of usage it might be it might be yeah. not but true it, but uh, I think it's, it's a beautiful idea how you come up with a, a strategy of swapping spaces mm-hmm. in order to to get to do what you're interested in yeah and what what, what is what is uh, for sure uh, factual in your story is, is and which is already amazing is that uh, in Venice uh, Giardini there's there's all those little territories of Mm-hmm. With different sovereignties, uh, which are uh, materialized by those pavilions, uh, but so. only also once once a year for the art or the architecture. Oh, areas. they're not. They're not. Okay. They, during the rest of the year, I don't really know what's happening in there, mm. and it's a very strange situation. It's like exhibition pavilions. I see. Do you, do you think of any other uh, uh, item in what uh, what I like to call your cabinet of architectural curiosities? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many items. But it's, it's sometimes it's about how these laws shape new sets of new sets of laws or mm-hmm. new I don't know transgressive like practices. The, what we were talking about with the um, squatting roofs is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this friend of mine, Dubravka Sekulic, she published this yeah. book on rooftops in Belgrade mm-hmm. through these kind of real estate uh, development practices and how you like transgress the actual regulations to to make to make like legal extensions or semi-legal or extra legal is always this kind of uh, threshold or hybrid or yeah values between two realms and I think operating in these uh, kind of blurry areas is where it makes things attractive for me mm-hmm. is the way also I try to compile cases or events Okay. Yeah. So the, the politics and the beauty of the blur <laughs> thank you very much Daniel it was well, a, a pleasure to talk with you and uh, I hope that our, our listener uh, appreciated the conversation as well thank you, thank you.